You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, I am so excited to have with me today uh, Parker Meeks. Um, Parker is the Chief Strategy Officer for Hyzon Motors, very big um, and growing in the hydrogen space. And I am so, so excited to actually talk about the hydrogen um, market. There is one. It's growing. It's coming. There are policies there are vehicles, you know, it's hydrogen is, um, is everywhere. It's kind of like the, the new black. Um, and, um, so I'm excited to kind of dig into, uh, these issues today with Parker. So Parker, welcome to the program. Great to have you. Amy, thanks so much for having me. We're always excited to be on talking about hydrogen and our heavy duty fuel cell truck. So I appreciate it. You are in the right place. So I am so ready to talk about it as well. <laughs> so um, for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk a little more about Hyzon and what it offers? And then, you know, I think what the your placement in the space and, and what Hyzon is doing is, is really interesting in terms of focusing on um, heavy duty vehicles. So why heavy duty vehicles against all other, you know, types of transport modes? So tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Well, Hyzon Motors is a global supplier of zero emission hydrogen fuel cell powered mobility solutions, starting with heavy duty trucks. And I say starting with because the history of Hyzon goes back to our former parent company, Horizon Fuel Cell. And what's unique about us is we, the core of the company is the fuel cell, the technology. So Horizon Innovate has been innovating fuel cell technology since 2003. Hyzon was spun out to own the IP for anything that moves. If it moves, uh, we put the same fuel cell technology that Horizon's been innovating for heavy-duty use cases like trucks. And we chose heavy-duty trucks to start with because that's the use case that's the nearest term that's ready to go now, to take technology that Horizon innovated to a heavy-duty, high-power density capability with Trucks is the focus really for the last four or five years. Um, so hydrogen <clears throat> as an energy fuel and source, what's unique about it is density. And it provides the convenience of carrying heavier loads and driving longer distances, providing longer and, and higher amounts of power um, without the compromise of performance, of weight that all battery electric solutions have, and the fueling times or for battery, for battery electric re recharging times. You know, our, our mission is to accelerate the clean energy transition, starting with, with mo mobility. And we're singularly focused on putting clean trucks on the road as fast as possible, um, given that's the use case to start with. It's ready now and that hydrogen can provide uniquely for, again, long range, heavy loads and high and high, high power. Needs. And we're showing that through our recent uh, announcements to launch the first hydrogen in-use conversion program to allow us to not just put new trucks on the road, but to put to take used trucks and to repower yeah, existing. That's trucks. really cool. It's like that's like the that's like getting my attention and other people in the space attention because, to my knowledge, you know, I, I don't know anyone else who's doing this, um, you know, right now. And the fact that you can take the existing fleet and 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 make a conversion like this is. You know, it's absolutely huge. 
Yeah, I mean, what a great carbon story, right? I mean, we not only are replacing the diesel engine uh, and all the emissions that come out of operating the truck, but we're also avoiding the carbon that would be emitted and the emissions created through manufacturing a a, a new new truck. Um, and it just goes back to again, our our goal is to put this technology, this clean technology, on the road as fast as possible to remove barriers to entry as as fast as possible. Cost is a barrier to entry. Repowering used truck is is significantly lower cost than a, than a new truck, and time is a barrier to entry. You know, if you walk into a um, a dealer today off the street and try to order a new diesel truck, you're likely to hear it's going to be 16 plus months, right? Yeah. So yeah. supply chain for new trucks for chips is an issue, and and we want to take those barriers out because the technology is ready. Wow. So can you also talk about what I also kind of find kind of interesting about Hyzon is this um, eco uh, system concept. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And then, you know, like the sourcing of, of waste-based hydrogen for refueling. So I would imagine from a carbon intensity standpoint, if, if it's a, if it's a waste-based hydrogen it's got to be either net zero or potentially net negative type hydrogen. And that's like really compelling, you know, if you want to, you know, participate, for example, in the low carbon fuel standard program. So can you talk a little bit more about that? That's really unique too, I think. Absolutely, Tammy. And and you've got it dead on. You know, the <laughs> great thing about hydrogen is it's everywhere, right? The most abundant uh, element in the universe, I believe. I'm not, I'm not a chemist. Um, it's, it's everywhere. It's in us. Um, and the way we look at, at the market, when I look at a map of the United States, for instance, and you look at the resources available to produce hydrogen, um, there are many, of course, there's, there's solar and wind, there's, uh, renewable biogas and gas and other gases that are being emitted anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, waste as well. And waste is everywhere. Anywhere there's humans who typically need things delivered to them and trucks driven. Are creating creating waste. Um, so it's it, it, you know the waste to hydrogen concept is one that has been in the works for a long time. These technologies have been worked on for years and years, if not decades and decades. And they've been you know there's been some some false starts in the technology over time, but it's been fine tuned and now where it's ready. Um, and and the, essentially we've vetted a number of different firms and partners, and have um, a few that we've announced and others that we're talking to. Um, but we've announced a partnership with Raven SR as one example of a great waste hydrogen technology that we, just to give one example of that carbon negative potential, our first hub with Raven is going to be located in Richmond, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to take between 50 and hundred tons per day of waste. And that's a mix of, of, of mixed solid waste and biomass mm-hmm. and produce five tons per day of fuel which will fuel between 100 and 125 Class 8 trucks um, in the Bay Area, stretching to Sacramento. Um, and that, that, that um, production is expected to be anywhere from a negative 15 to a positive 4 on the carbon score as, as scored wow. by, by carb, mm-hmm. compared to a straight SMR from natural gas, which is typically well above mm-hmm. 100, if not 150 or so. Right. And, and what's great is, we can process through Raven and other technologies any form of waste, essentially. Um, unrecyclable plastics, right. you know, biomass. But they have a great visual of like 
the takeout Chinese food container with the food still in it, the chopsticks, the stuff, you know, the styrofoam, right. all that can go in. And right. as long as we have about 25% biomass in the mix, it's, it's typically carbon, carbon zero. So yeah. it's, it's really a tremendous opportunity where we see it as the, you know, my, my background actually started in, in, in oil and gas. So I've been decarbonizing myself over, over time, <laughs> um, but you know, in oil and gas, the oil in the ground is a, is a proven undeveloped reserve, right? Which is very well known by the energy community. Trash is our proven undeveloped reserve of the future. It's a gold yeah. mine for cities, for counties, for municipalities to monetize. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was, I'm, um, we'll be having someone else on the podcast that will be talking about this, but from the hydro-treated vegetable oil perspective. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see like how feedstocks um, evolve over time. It never occurred to me, you know, there's, there will be a rush within that particular sector, you yep. know, to, to get those kinds of, of, of wastes online for feedstocks for like a sustainable aviation fuel um, and, you know, renewable diesel HVO, but it never occurred to me. And then, you know, and then for, for RNG, but it never occurred to me, you know, for hydrogen um, refueling as well. So that's going to be a really interesting kind of, kind of future to sort of see that come online as well. It, it certainly is. And part of why it's so important is when you look at hydrogen, it's, it's a gas. Gases are hard to move. Um, without expending a lot of energy to liquefy them, right? And to condense them further. Mm-hmm. So to unlock this market, we need fuel to the vehicle as cheaply as possible. And we need to produce it, in our view, as close to demand as possible in a way that it's produced smaller scale, modular to scale with 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 uh, fleets. You know, fleets yeah. are going to buy trucks in the 10 to 15 to 20 truck initial order kind of a scale. No one's going to rush out and buy much as we, we would love them to, buy 100 <laughs> fuel cell trucks to start. What that means is starting with a modular five-ton per day design at a landfill or a renewable gas plant that is in the footprint of demand and then scaling that over time to 10 to 15 to 20 tons per day as demand grows. That's how we create infrastructure that is fully utilized, that is economic, and that can create a long-haul network hub by hub dotting mm-hmm. the map Mm-hmm. Um, with back-to-base use cases um, that we're starting with now. So this is interesting. So what I wanted to ask you is, because there's so much emphasis right now on electrification, first yep. uh, and foremost of the light-duty fleet, but just in the last few years, there is just an, an enormous amount of attention and I would say advocacy on electrification, you know, for medium duty, but also even for long haul uh, trucking. Um, so can you talk a little bit um, about that? You know, what what the advantages are, yeah. um, you know, hydrogen versus um, electrification and and then, you know, the your the feedback that you're hearing from from customers, because I think some of your customers are doing both or they're doing other things, you know, as well. They may be doing natural gas or renewable natural, you know, they're, it's it's sort of all of the above. So, um, yeah. What, what are the advantages, um, that, that you're seeing and and what are you hearing from customers? Yeah, sure. I'd love to start with just first, what's the advantage to an electrified vehicle, whether it's battery electric or hydrogen, um, and what really drives adoption in the electric use case? Because both, both types are electric. 
Um, and then how does hydrogen separate for certain use cases? Um, you know, what's what the, the feedback we get from customers about electrified vehicles, it, regardless of type, is it's a tremendous opportunity for fleets, for drivers. Um, it's a truck that doesn't have emissions, so, so the, the driver doesn't smell like a diesel engine whenever they go home at night. Yes. It's a, it's a truck that is quiet, so they can drive down the road and have the windows down and talk to a passenger. It's a truck that doesn't have any or very little vi- vibration, right? Um, and, and that's a big thing for driver safety and driver health over, mm-hmm. over time. And, and it's a truck um, that additionally has a certain potential cachet and attraction to younger drivers. You know, the trucking industry has the same problem many industries have, which is driver retention, driver attraction, and workforce and the current generation of they could be drivers. When they see a diesel truck, they think, "Wow, I'm going to spend my career in that thing." Yeah. But when they drive an electric truck, it just it's new technology. It's what a lot of the new generation wants. So it is a driver attraction, driver re- retention tool. And the last thing is safety, right? In driving. So think about when you're driving on a highway, and you see a, a semi truck pulling in up up the ramp. Mm-hmm. That truck is struggling to get up to speed and it creates a safety issue for every car on the road. Yeah. Our trucks, any electric truck has the torque it needs to seamlessly merge into traffic much easier, creating a much safer environment for the truck driver and for the other, other cars. So all that is part of what, why whenever drivers drive our truck or any electrified truck, it's a real selling point. However, a hydrogen separates right. when it comes to distance, um, load, Weight and 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 refueling time, yeah. right? Yeah. So a, a hydrogen fuel cell class eight truck will typically be between two and five tons lighter than an all battery electric truck, and right. that means for for freight carriers that that fully pack out up to legal limits, that is revenue, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and for other use cases like garbage trucks, um, or <clears throat> like um, uh, gas and power utility service trucks. Um, it's about the ability for that that energy delivery system to do the work with an auxiliary load, like a lift on a garbage truck, or like a boomer or a crane or something else on a on a uh, a big utility truck, um, without weighing the vehicle down too much. Um, so garbage trucks, for instance, you know we 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 put the first garbage truck into the UK and Aberdeen. We're doing them in, in Australia. We're prototyping one for the US now. You know. Um, it's a, it's a two to, it's going, it's, it's like going from 10 tons of trash you can haul to six tons, you know, it's a real impact on on business. So it's operational impact, it's revenue, and then it's, it's charging time. You know, we, we just completed our first trial with TTSI and Dredge, real applications, 24 hour work, work cycles across two driver shifts. We were refueling in 15 to 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Real world, right? Not just theoretical. Yeah. We want to get that down further to to attend, you know, to do the same work for a battery truck. You got to park yeah. that truck. You yeah. got to park that truck for with today's technology. Yeah. You're parking that truck for well over an hour, if not two or three or four hours. Yeah. Uh, even even if it's people, like uh, 150 or 350 kilowatt hour charging, you're still right. going to have that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So these are all the advantages in the truck itself. Um, and the last advantage really is viability of infrastructure. You know what I what I um, mm-hmm. What I smile at is all these reports that say, well, hydrogen is a real infrastructure challenge. And, and they're right. Infrastructure is a challenge. We have to build dispensing stations and permit them and get them online. 
But when I compare that to battery electric, if you're trying to get charge times down to less than an hour, you're probably talking a 500 kilowatt to a megawatt charger that doesn't exist today. Right. And then once it does exist, let's say you have 100 trucks in an area that are trying to operate, you're probably going to need how many? 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20 chargers. So if you're trying to get down to like a 30 minute charge, you're talking 10 to 20 megawatts of power. Right. It, and the grid that needs to support that. So it, it's it's it, it's an infrastructure advantage, I think, for hydrogen, actually, um, in these big heavy use cases, which require the amount of energy that, that, that these uh, trucks need. Right. Yeah. And I think like the thoughtful placement of, you know, creating those hubs and a specific network, you don't need a hundred and I think the statistic is 155,000 gas stations. Now you don't need that. You need thoughtfully placed at particular um, hubs, creating a national network. And it seems to me from my own experience and then, you know, and then seeing other studies kind of come out you know, that's very financially achievable, especially the with the path that we're walking in already in terms of, you know, the, the push towards decarbonization. That seems imminently doable. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. It, it, it certainly is because we're now, we now have the technology and we have a number of OEMs that, you know, we're first on the road in many cases, um, but there's others that are, are trialing trucks that are, that are, are, are um, right there with us. Um, and that's brought a different perspective together on what infrastructure can be and how do we plan yeah. it? How do we, how do we, how do we think about it? So I think you'll see some real concrete plans coming out soon. So I want to turn to, um, a little bit of a different topic and that is the area of, of policy. So, you know, as you very well know, many countries are, you know, developing, coming out with national hydrogen strategies. My own count puts it at about, uh, 40, and some have really very specific targets um, to hit for, for both light and heavy-duty vehicles, and then as well as, you know, fueling infrastructure. So you're really beginning to see countries, they, they see the opportunity, they're not about to get left behind <laughs> or outpaced by China. I think that's a, a lot of what's what's going on since that's, you know, kind of happened on the electrification side. They're not about to let the opportunity pass. And then, you know, of course, you know, in terms of decarbonization, hydrogen, you know, it fits right in. So you're seeing all these, these countries coming out with strategies, but the U.S. doesn't have you know, what I would call the same kind of national vision or, or strategy. So, you know, beyond incentives, you know, we saw some interesting things in the infrastructure legislation, you know, DOE is doing some really interesting, you know, R&D stuff, you know, there's some state policies, low carbon fuel standard we've already mentioned, I think, which has really done a lot for, for hydrogen. So my question to you is, is that a hindrance? Um, and 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 what kinds of policies should we be considering, both at the federal and state level, to really support the scale up of hydrogen? Not lumping in hydrogen as you know some of these clean and clean fuel incentives. You know, it's like EPAC mm-hmm. nineteen ninety two. You can use. I don't know that that's really helpful. You know, it seems like you know policies and incentives need to be targeted to hydrogen if we want to see hydrogen um different types of mo- mobility you know sort of out there so what's your view about that well i couldn't agree more with your statement particularly the last one that 
hydrogen is its own the lumping uh, in <laughs> it's own, exactly hydrogen is, is its own market its own fuel type its own infrastructure and and um, while there are synergies across multiple fuel types being in the same energy refueling plaza for instance we need a, a specific strategy and funding uh program and it's no secret that other parts of the world you know europe asia china australia are further along in, in their hydrogen fuel cell adoption and infrastructure and that's been driven by subsidy it's mm-hmm. been driven by the availability of support Mm-hmm. Um, as in any new technology, um, and it's our it's our job to develop the technology and scale it as fast as we can, supported by those programs uh, to get off subsidy as fast as 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 we can. So, changing hearts and minds in, in the U.S. is happening, right? You see momentum, you see progress. You're right that the federal view is still coming into play, but there are some programs like the Department of Energy um, Hydrogen Shop Program and the Hydrogen Hub um, mm-hmm. RFI and RFQ that's coming out soon. Um, you know, that's going to be a tremendous opportunity. It's going to galvanize the industry across supply and demand use cases to come together and to plan collectively in the way that we're allowed to, to put together ecosystem views of how, how a defined program of $9 billion of funding, which is great, can unlock a starting ecosystem in many regions of, of the, uh, the U.S. Several states are being leaders, California being obviously the real early leader who's helping to define and shape state-level policy with other mm-hmm. states now, some mimicking and some taking what they can learn and, and tailoring it in the way that their constituents you know, would like to see it, see it uh, go. Um, but what we need is actually pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Um, given where costs are today for the truck behind me and for fuel, you know, a combination of <clears throat> voucher programs and subsidies on the truck we know exactly what those dollar amounts need to be, and it's a, a nice cost share, right, between fleets and and um, the the state or or, or federal program, uh, combined with you know a fuel subsidy, which isn't as big of a percentage need as on the truck side. The fuel actually, because there's so many methods and technologies to produce it, if you do it close to demand, the fuel is not that far off. And 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 supporting infrastructure development through typical infrastructure development, you know credits and, and things like that. And the California program, you know, across the LCFS, the, the, the low carbon fuel standard, um, the HVIP voucher program um, for trucks and the HRI um, infrastructure credit, which isn't uh, eligible for heavy duty yet, but we hope it does come there. That's a great environment where we can beat diesel today and we can sell trucks today in a program where there is funding that's growing that is actually available it's not as big as we'd like it to be, but the state's doing a, a great job. Um, that said, even in California, if you look at the infrastructure side of the equation, yeah. all the funding in the state, I, I won't get the exact number right, but the vast majority of that funding available is for all battery electric charging infrastructure. Right. Actually, you have a relatively small percentage available for hydrogen today. Now, part of that is the demand use case, the trucks haven't been ready. And now, now we're on the road. A few others are starting to get in trials. Um, so do you, you know, see that shifting and cha- changing over time to sort of address that gap? We do. We do see a real opening of the of the agency's minds in California. We see other states who are adopting similar standards. And I think it does come down to making sure that as we as we show the demand, as we commit to what we can produce and as customers commit to what they're what they're willing to buy and, and why they see hydrogen as the leading solution for these use cases. That's our job to show the states and to show the federal government why they should reallocate funding more appropriately in line with the actual demand that we can spread. 
Um, and I wanted to ask you too about, about ACT. So that's the Advanced Clean Trucking uh, Program. So now, you know, California yep. is doing that program. Um, now we've got what, 15, 16, 17 states that are following. Do you see that as a potential game changer for, for you all as well? Because it's 100% clean truck. I think the target is 100% by 2035. I mean, that's, you know, yep. that's big. It is. It's huge. And, and it's different on the public sector side versus the private sector side. But I think in any case, having targets that that the states are directing, saying this is what we want to achieve, what, what, what we're mandating OEMs produce and what we're requiring different fleet types to, to purchase, it gives us targets to then go and, and, and to plan for. Right. And so we're fully capable and ready to provide the manufacturing capacity, the fuel cells, and the trucks that we need to deliver our, 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 our share of, of those targets. The key is to match those plans and programs with the support needed to make it sustainable for, for fleets. Right. And that, and that, and that can be a challenge, you know, it's um, in California, for instance, it's part of the dialogue that's happening, the depth of the voucher program, for instance, and how many trucks that can support versus the targets that are being set. Right. So that's, that's really the key that fleets are concerned about, that our customers are concerned about, is they're they're all in to 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 drive the transition. There's so many corporations now and public publicly funded fleets that want to make this happen. The concern comes when there is a mismatch between the timing of the trucks being ready from a cost standpoint, the scale that we need to get there, and the the, the support funding that's available in that interim period versus the targets that are set. So that's that's where we're actively participating. To help define what that successful pathway looks like to get those those durations and funding funding levels right. So I want to ask you, how do you see the the market here in the U.S. and maybe even even globally to the, to the extent that you can comment? How do you see the market evolving over the next uh, ten years? Uh, so what's clear is there's immediate need for clean energy now. Um, yeah. No matter what lens you look at it through, be it climate, be it political, um, be it security of energy, um, you know, fossil fuel will, will be around for a long time, um, but the costs are likely to continue to rise and, and the emissions we know we need to, we, we need to do something about now. Um, so transportation is a segment of the market, which we can have, the, the, you know, among the most immediate impact and given the readiness of the technology, the ability to scale it. Um, and then and the and the diversity um, of the customer base that we can really enable to 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 scale up that that demand use case. The good news is you know that companies are seeing it and and they are committing right. They're committing not just to their primary scope one um, ESG goals, but scope two and scope three. They're they're pushing mm-hmm. their suppliers and the suppliers of their suppliers to make sure that we're looking at emissions in a very comprehensive uh, way. And given hydrogen is so abundantly available, you know, I'm very confident in the supply side and the ability for us to produce hydrogen that is clean, that is, that is at a de- declining cost, that's available mm-hmm. where it needs to be. And that as long as we provide support to the demand use case that can scale relatively fast um, as, as that supply becomes readily uh, available. Um, so as always, you know, growing demand will bring challenges in how we enable and get this thing going. Um, I think, frankly, the next two to three years will tell us if we're going to have a real hockey stick moment in trucking over the next, you know, four or five, six years in that in that next 
10 year frame, you know, or if we push it down the road because we don't provide the, the support we need, is it the same support that we gave to, to wind and solar to, to get that going? Um, yeah. So I, I see a pathway right in front of us where yeah. if we're able to, to put the support mechanisms in place to allow us to scale capacity on the demand side and the supply side, the customer appetite is there. Um, the ambition is there. The future outlook we know is there and we can do it relatively fast um, if we're able to allow allow the industry some support to uh, scale. So is is that the key, you know, in terms of making the, the hockey stick happen is is um, is that sort of like the 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 signpost, you know, when when people are watching the space to see, OK, is this going to go? Is this not going to go? You know, is it the the support that will be available both at the state, federal, federal and state level that will sort of be sort of the, the determinant, sort of one of the big signposts, to, you know, to kind of look look for? I think it is in terms of the ultimate um, ability for the industries that we're putting these products in the hands of to make, you know, what ends up in the end being a business decision that has economic yeah. factors to it and environmental factors to it but it's rarely just an environmental choice, right? So the economics will always play a role. And that's why over the next 10 years, you know, I think what you're going to see is the next three years, Europe, Australia, and Asia are going to continue to, to, to lead. Yeah. They're being the most aggressive in, in policy and subsidy. Um, I think the U.S. is really striving to catch up. And I think that this hydrogen hub program with the DOE is going to be a huge thing if it's really executed well. And, yeah. and, we're, and, and if demand is really enabled, as as a part of it, um, I think that the states that are working to fulfill their commitments through the MOUs that have been signed and to really take and learn from California, you know that the next three years for the U.S. ideally is a you know introduction pilot and 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 first scaling where transportation plays a real leading role, and then you know year sort of five five to eight of the next ten is is likely you know where hopefully we. We see Europe and, and Asia and Australia starting to to really expand and and mm-hmm. more use cases to come to market. Where you're going from trucking to power, eventually the early use cases in rail and and light duty aircraft becoming viable, and where North America is really going through their hockey stick moment um, in trucking and in and in potentially hydrogen blending and some of the early use cases that Europe and Asia and Australia have helped companies like Hyzon to really scale and to, and to ma- mature, you know, because for instance, last year we put 87 trucks on the road globally, China and some in Europe, you know, is, is where those trucks went. We're going to put a multiple of that on the road in 2022. Um, all those learnings we then take to, to, to the U S so that, you know, by the, by the back end of the next 10 years, you know, North America, Europe, Australia, Asia are all, at, at scale and relatively mature and, and moving into additional use cases into heavier aircraft and marine vessels and heavier rail. And we're now introducing the technology to other markets, South America, you know, part, parts wow. of Southeast Asia. I mean, that's, there's interest in every part of the world today. And oh, so yeah, as a global company on four continents, what we're trying to basically make sure we're doing is scaling as fast as, as the market allows and helping our customers see the vision of how this thing can play out over the next three, five, and, and uh, 10, 10 uh, years. Yeah, it's an exciting vision that you're that you're putting putting forward here, and it's um, you know I I think that there is um, a lot of momentum you know to to make that happen. 
Um, and I think it'll be the rest of the world that'll end up kind of pushing the U.S. a, a little bit. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Um, especially from the competitive stand, standpoint and IP and thing, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, I think that's a that's a that's a bipartisan issue, and we don't have many of many of those, um, you know, these days. But um, yeah. last question, fun and last question, I want to ask you is, um, what is what's exciting to you about the space? What what's most excites you about this space, and why? So it's just thrilling to be at the forefront of the clean energy transition, particularly as a person that I grew up in in, in carbon-heavy oil and gas, electric power, chemicals, um, being born and raised in Houston, Texas. It's an environment that you you easily start in. And um, this is this is the future, right? Um, Hyzon is uniquely um, situated to help drive that transition from a demand perspective with use case solutions like trucks to start, um, they can really get, get this thing going and partner with some of the largest companies in the world who thankfully see the same thing. You know, large oil and gas companies, large um, uh, equipment uh, sellers, um, you know, large power companies, all these companies see the transition, want to participate in it and are open and looking to partner with companies like us to match supply with demand. So it's just really exciting to, to basically help drive the early use cases like trucking, but to also have the opportunity over time to transition the demand for clean fuels uh, into aircraft and into rail, into marine vessels, into power solutions. You know, these are all things that in Hyzon's, you know, five to 10 year roadmap are markets that we look forward to helping to decarbonize and, oh, wow. and to and to really um to get to once the trucking application and use case is 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 well underway. So I feel really, 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 really fortunate. And our entire team at Hyzon is really passion-led. When you're a company that's building something in this way, you got to be led led by passion. Um, so we're all excited to do, do our part to help move uh, move fuel and move, move, move uh, mo- mobility forward. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing that, I'm not sure that I myself had really thought about is, you know, I'd been really focused on the the heavy duty vehicles, not the the shipping, the aviation, um, and you know, and rail use cases and aviation yeah. and shipping, you know, those are huge markets. Um, so it's um, yeah, future's looking bright. <laughs> it is, it is, and, and and it's all it's all um, well laid plans, prioritized and executed to ensure that we uh, succeed. Um, but just the amount of energy teaming um, across every segment of these value chains, that momentum is tangible. And it's something that, you know, uh, if, we were, if we were in this by ourselves, which Horizon was for a long time as a fuel cell manufacturer, our, our co-founders, uh, Craig Knight and George Gu, who are now our, our CEO and chairman of Hyzon, who came with the spin out, um, they talk about those early days and at times it felt kind of lonely, but we're not I alone. I bet today. it did, especially yeah. back 10, 10 years ago. And yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. 15 what's years amazing, ago. What's amazing. We are not alone today. We were just in Long Beach at the, um, the ACT Expo, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, which is our biggest conference in the U S every year. And having grown up in the oil and gas industry, going to OTC and mm-hmm. all these big oil and gas conferences, I can tell you ACT Expo feels like those. And that's wow. that, that's that's a big statement, but that's the amount of, of momentum we have. 
And that's what that's what we are going to need. A broad set of partners across value chain with big balance sheets who can help all of us scale together. Yeah. Well, Parker, thanks so much for being on the show today. It was fascinating to to talk with you about what you all are doing at Hyzon and then just the the future of of hydrogen um, as well. I hope you come back as things develop. Absolutely. Look forward to keeping the dialogue going and thanks for all you're doing to uh, to spread the uh, word. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more and sign up for a free biweekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.